so good just to be in this moment. I don't want you to leave the moment you were just in. I want you to think about something that is not a trick question. It's a really simple answer. And yet tonight I want us to kind of drill down deeper into it because I think as we continue on in this series, there's some profound things that God wants to whisper to you tonight. And the real simple question is, who do you see when you look in a mirror? Who do you see? Again, it's not a trick question. Hey there. Who do you see when you look in the mirror? I see me. You see you. You think about the reality that there's 7.7 billion people in the world, and there's not one single person like you. No one has your fingerprints. No one has the uniquenesses that make up your personality and and your style of who you are. No one makes up the same or shares the exact same history that you have. You are uniquely you. So who do you see when you look in the mirror? Now, part of the fun in life is to have a game. We like to call it the doppelganger. Anyone ever found their doppelganger? Run into it? That's got to be, was that weird? So weird. That's so weird. Okay, so Margot has found her doppelganger. I remember uh, my son's friend was on vacation with his family in San Francisco, and he texts us a picture, and he's like, I just got in this Uber, and I'm sneaking this picture because you're driving. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I'm waiting for the picture to come through because I have Sprint, and I'm like, hurry up. Okay, so... Finally, he comes through, and you can kind of see like he got that trick, you know, ninja-like picture from the back seat, from the, you know, the side, like where no one would notice he was taking a picture, and I looked at it, and I studied it, and I was like, I'm an Uber driver in San Francisco, but I'm here. Whoa. Doppelgangers. Kind of a fun game. Maybe somewhere in the world, there's someone that looks like you or similar to you, but you are uniquely you. So who do you see when you look in the mirror? Because my hunch is when you look a little bit longer, which most of us don't like to do, even if you're doing your makeup, I don't have much experience in that, but I probably need it, but I don't have it. But we don't have, like, we don't really like the attention we draw to ourselves when we look in the mirror. So who are you when you look in the mirror? I bet if you look a little bit longer, you might begin to see some similarities, some family resemblances, if you will. Maybe like the shape of your nose matches many of your siblings, or maybe the color of your eyes is similar to others. Maybe, okay, I'll fine, I'll do it. I have a weird nose that squishes all the way because I have no car, so it's just like it just goes flat and... If that's disgusting, oh well. So um, I am uniquely me, okay? So 
Maybe you, you have similar dimples of all your siblings, and it runs in your family, and so when you get together at a family reunion, it's like your picture's like, oh, dimple mania, right? Not just everybody's got them, that type thing. So maybe you begin to see residual uh, re- kind of familiarities, but who are you when you look in the mirror? Because my hunch is, like me, I bet if you look a little bit longer, you see beyond just, okay, I'm unique, there's no one like me, maybe there's some similarities, some familiarity with family, but I, I bet if you're honest and you look long enough, you begin to see some of the scars of words that have shaped you, experiences that have impacted you, words that were spoken over you, that for some way or some reason you just attached and you never let them kind of go off and you just kind of carry them around. And for some weird reason, they actually begin to shape and morph you a little bit. You begin to live out some of those things that were spoken over you that really shouldn't have been spoken over you or impacted into your life and you just kind of carried them around and we call it labels sometimes. There's other words. So who are you when you look in the mirror? Because my hunch is what you long for is to be able to look long enough to go, I actually, actually really like, and I love that person. And I'm not convinced that you can say that. I'm not convinced I can say it and mean it. What we want more than anything is to be able to love. Isn't that what matters most? I mean, it's how we started this series last week, looking at the reality that Jesus is the one who said, hey, love matters most. It's the most important thing, and it should shape all of life. And we looked at this little interchange that Jesus had with these religious leaders as they have spent a year and a half trying to trap him into kind of self-perjury, kind of putting some things back on himself, and he's just living this out. And you can go there in Matthew chapter 22, and you begin to see this idea of what's worked out, that this idea of love is what matters, Jesus is saying. It's what is paid attention to. They said, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And that's a good question. It's a necessary question. The rabbis would argue about what's the heavy uh, commandments, what's the light commandments, which one really matters, and what's this about? And Jesus, without hesitation, responds. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second, kind of without even a breath, is like it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love the people around you as you love yourself. You're to live out this great commandment kind of love that has three parts to it. It's to to love God most, to love yourself rightly, and it frees you up to therefore love people really, really well around you. And if we don't get this right, then we struggle to have 
a life that's worth leveraging. We struggle to have a voice as the church that's worth listening to. And so it's, it's imperative that we get this right. It's imperative that we lean into Jesus' words. We kind of talked about Christmas lights last week. And we said when you plug those Christmas lights in, whether you're a person who does it on Christmas Eve or you do it like at, you know, around Halloween, you're decorating for Christmas or whenever you do it or you just leave it up all year, whatever that may be, you got to plug it in. The, the lights have to be turned to a power source. That's what lights up the lights. You can't just think about it and wish them to work. You got to be connected to a power source. And so the reality, the series bottom line for this whole thing is this. It's God's love that empowers us to love. It is God's love being tapped in and empowered by that that allows us to love him back upward, to love ourselves rightly inward, to love others outside of us outward, to love them well in a world that desperately needs to see that and feel that and sense that. And so this journey is about learning to love God back. We looked at that last week. If you missed it, you can catch it online on YouTube, just on the app. But tonight I wanna look at this inward kind of love. How do you learn to love yourself? Well, in our culture, we're kind of told that you can love yourself if you're successful. And the more successful you are, then the more you can actually love yourself, the more you can find value and worth in who you are and what you do. Our culture says that what you do and what you have and what you accomplish, that is where your value lies. And that's where your worth finds its root. And that's fine. It's okay to be driven. It's okay to achieve. And it's okay to go after things. But when life's going really well, that's a good spot to be. But when life is not, that's a horrible place to base your identity. That's a that's quicksand foundation to build your whole identity and self-worth on that. We tend to evaluate ourselves and rate the love of self based on what we've accomplished or what kind of life we have, what kind of existence or relationships we can construct. And so when you're doing well, it's good. When you're not, everything crumbles and fractures and falls apart and we're left empty and searching, empty, hurt. But the scriptures declare that to love ourselves rightly, that requires embracing our true given identity as the beloved of God. As a person who has put their faith in Jesus, you are now the beloved of God. What does that mean? Way more than you think it means. It's way deeper than you can think it goes. It's wider than you think you can get your arms around. According to God, our identity is not based on our production. That's what our world says. You are what you produce. God says your identity is based on what I have provided. And I provided my son for you to show you how much you're worth and how valuable you are to me. I want you to know it's not based on what you produce, it's on what I've done. I went first, God says. Jesus said this, we looked at it last week. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another, how? Well, as I have loved you. 
You're to love one another. In these words, Jesus reflects on both his past loving involvement with his disciples as well as fast-forwarding to what he's about to do as he hangs on the cross and gives his life. No greater love has someone than this, that they lay down their life for their friend. And Jesus is getting ready to take that walk. And he says to the disciples, I want you to love one another as I have loved you as I'm getting ready to show you the full extent of my love for you. The cross is the key to knowing our worth and our value to God, to embracing a real love for self as we see ourselves in the light of the cross and everything Jesus has done for us. See, part of growing as a disciple is becoming certain about who Jesus is. But part of growing as a disciple is also becoming certain of who you are in him and to him and with him. God demonstrated his love for us, sending Jesus to die for us when we were yet sinners. Romans chapter five. Romans eight, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ that is in Jesus, sent by God. Because of his great love for us, God made him alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter two, you are alive with him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we get to be called children of God. And that is what we are, 1 John 3. You are the beloved as one who has attached their life to Jesus, who has said it's not about what I do or what I produce, it's about what Jesus has done, and I'm with him. And I'm seeking his grace. And as I have found his grace, and his grace has found me, and it's changed my life, I am now a different person. I can look at myself differently. I can begin to see myself for who Jesus really sees me as. I love what Henry Nouwen writes this. Our spiritual identity means we are not what we do or what people say about us. We are not what we have. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God. Now, embracing that as your identity is not an automatic thing. Embracing that as your reality is not an automatic thing, especially in a culture that says you are what you produce. You are what you have. You are what you accomplish. And again, to achieve and to accomplish and to go after is nothing wrong with that. But it's a horrible place to base your whole identity. Because when it's good, it's good. And when it's not, It's just really not. And when you struggle. And so how many people do you know who have this internal blank stare or wandering hearts whose bookshelves are filled with books all about God and yet painfully they lack a sense of truly believing that they are the beloved, that they are valuable to God. And they can quote a lot of things and read a lot of things and say back to you a lot of things, but deep within when they look in the mirror, They're struggling to see their true identity as the beloved of God. That's why Paul writes this prayer in in, uh, Ephesians chapter three. He says, I pray that out of the glorious riches you may have strength within you, power through his spirit in the inner being that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is about faith in Christ and nothing else. 
And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ for you. To know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God, that part of growing as a disciple and becoming more and more fully who God has created you and redesigned and rescued and redeemed you and renewing you to be is that you would know that you are loved beyond words and beyond measure. You are his beloved. And that you would anchor your life there. Then you can go achieve and accomplish and acquire and go after and live with passion. But don't let your identity travel there. Let your identity rest in the foundation of who God says you are. See, the evil one loves to deceive and loves to take us on a journey that says, no, your identity is fixed on what you do and what you have and what you achieve and, and who you know. That's where your identity is. That's what the world loves to say, but the devil steals from us there. He robs us and we must maintain our anchor in the truth of who Jesus says we are. We must remain open always to receiving the startling love of Christ for you. Jesus startled people with his love everywhere he went. He had many profound things to say. He performed incredible miracles. But listen, everything he said and every miracle he performed were to show people his love first that they may be experiencing the love that he has for them, that he would startle them, surprise them. May you never lose the wonder of being startled by Jesus' love for you, friend. Jesus, everywhere he went, you think back to lepers. Jesus hung out with lepers who were pushed to the edge of society and he said, look, I'm coming to where you are. In fact, I'm even gonna reach out and touch the untouchable because I want you to be healed wholly and completely, not just from some disease, but from this thing that separates you relationally. I'm reaching out to you. He startled the Samaritan woman who has broke all cultural conventions and, and norms to be at this water, to, to draw and to interact with him. That was a big no-no. And why is she there at noon? because she's got a really troubled past. It's probably pretty isolated and pretty rejected. And yet Jesus has a spiritual conversation with her that we still live out today because he's wanting to startle her with love. The woman caught in the act of adultery, he doesn't just stand over her, he kneels down beside her, protecting her. And saying, where are your accusers? Well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. All the way to the Calvary, you begin to see this play out as he whispers words over the very people who nailed him to a cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Startling people. The thief who was crucified beside him Think of the deception that marked his life, his entire life, and then in his last moments, this incredible acceptance that says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This startling love that kept him on the cross, 
to bear the, the brunt of your sin and mine. It wasn't for his. It was for mine, for yours. And he says, I'm going to stay here. Why? Because it's the cross and the light of the cross that we begin to see how much we're truly loved. The only time Jesus ever experienced the abandonment of the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God turns his back on his son. And yet, all throughout his life, he's affirming more and more, may you hear the whisper of the truth that affirms and confirms and seals your eternal value, that to Jesus you are valuable and you are worth his love. And it frees you to begin to see yourself differently. You are the beloved. Not because you earned it, not because you're awesome or more awesome than someone else, simply because he's given it to you. You are the beloved. And as we live that way, your value is not based on what you do, how much you have, or what others say about you. Your value now is with faith in Christ is forever solely and securely on who Jesus says you are. And he declares your worth and your value. The cross and the resurrection prove it over and over again. We're to anchor ourselves to that, that we are the beloved of God. And we are now freed then to begin to love him back and to love ourselves rightly. Not in a self-puffed-up kind of way that says, well, I've accomplished a lot, I've achieved a lot, I've, I've seen a lot, I know a lot, and so therefore that's my value. No, no, no. My value is because Jesus says I'm valuable. And that's where my identity can rest. And now, as I anchor to that, that I am the beloved, I can begin to live in the in-between. And here's what I mean by the in-between. As you live in the in-between, anchored to the reality of that I can love myself rightly because I am loved, I'm the beloved of God, I can live in the balance of two great realities. The first one is it's not about you. And the second is that you've been enlisted into a purpose that is beyond you. It's not about you. Our culture, after so many years, after so many things that I can order Uber Eats while I preach and it would be here and it would be good. Everything is catered to me. Everything, everywhere I go, it's customizable, everything. And what does that kind of create within a culture? Well, then it's all about you. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You live loved by me. You are my beloved, but I want to whisper a, a harsh reality and truth to you. It ain't about you. I love you, and you are mine. But it's not just about you. And that's hard to hear in our culture. Jesus in Matthew 16, it's a fascinating chapter if you just read the whole chapter. It begins with this idea of Jesus kind of asking, okay, who do people say I am? And the disciples give a few responses. He says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter makes that great response. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus says, Peter, my father's revealed this to you. And then the very next phrase is what you read in the scriptures. As Jesus begins to teach his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over, and I'm going to be killed. 
And what does Peter do? Jesus, whoa, get over sidebar. I don't think that's how this should go. Like, you're the Messiah, you're the big deal, you're, you're, big, you're big time. And I don't think you should go sacrifice yourself. Like, that seems like a dumb plan. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Peter, it's not about you. And it's not about your dreams and your wishes and everything that you think. There's a plan going on that's bigger than you. And you get behind me because you're heeding, you're impeding my progress of what I'm here to do. And then Jesus, some of the harshest words he says to his followers, he says, look, you take up your cross. Whoever wants to be my disciple, you gotta deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life has got to lose it. But if you lose your life, I promise you'll find it. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world? You get everything. It's all about who you have, what you have and who you know and what you've accomplished, and yet you lose your very soul. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, you live as the beloved because you are my beloved. And as you live anchored there, I'm gonna call you to some things. It's not about you. On the other side of that coin is, it's not just, it's not about you, but in some ways I want you to know I have some specific things for you to do. You're important and you're valuable. I want you to surrender to faith in me, not just faith in yourself. I want you to surrender to my grace over your efforts. I want you to submit to living for me beyond yourself. Submit to following the leadership of me over your wishes and your wants. It's not just about you, but I've enlisted you now into a purpose that's beyond you. Ephesians 2, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast about it. And this incredible phrase, this incredible truth, for you are God's handiwork. In Greek, it literally means this masterpiece. You are uniquely you, one of a kind. You're God's masterpiece. And he's designed you and crafted you and created you and led you in a way that he wants to leverage your life to do good works which he's prepared in advance for you to do. Listen, it's not about you, but I've got something for you. You are saved by his grace and you are saved into a greater purpose now. As you live as the beloved, as you wear the labels that God has for you, not those who have been laid upon you or that you've allowed to stay attached to you. Don't settle for less than being your absolute best and allowing God to renew you to become more and more that. You are who he is called to be with him and to live for him. To love yourself rightly, you must see yourself clearly. The brokenness and yet the worth and value to God that he would come and save and redeem you. I love what Timothy Keller writes. The only person in the universe whose opinion really counts looks at me and he finds me more valuable than all the jewels in all of creation. It's God's opinion about you that matters. My self-worth and my value, it'll be anchored in who God says I am, 
not what people say I am. If I'm going to wear labels, then wear the labels God has for you. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are made holy. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are securely accepted. You are no longer condemned. You are redeemed and being renewed. You are never alone. He is always with you. You are a new creation. You are equipped and gifted. You are sent and commissioned with purpose. You have a future. No matter your present struggle, you have an everlasting hope that pulls you forward. You have an eternal home prepared for you. You are a child of God and a forever friend of Jesus. That's who you are. That's who I am. So what do you see when you look in the mirror? God, we want to see ourselves rightly. We want to know that we are the beloved, not because of anything we've done to try to earn that, but through the view and the lens of the cross. That it's in Jesus and what he did and what he accomplished and what he achieved on our behalf that says you are now the beloved of God. For any who have surrendered their life to you, God, I pray if there's anyone here that has never said yes to you, Jesus, that tonight would be the night where they say, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm trying to create my own narrative. I'm trying to grow my own value in life based on everything I do and what I don't do and what I accomplish and what I say and where I go and what I achieve. And it's tiring. I I pray that they would hear the whisper of your spirit that says, come home. Say yes to Jesus and become his beloved. That our value and our worth is found in that. In our culture, there's so many voices that come at us, so many labels that can be flung in our direction that we can allow to stick or not. God, I pray that who you say we are would be the labels we wear. That what others say, we would allow them to be cast off, not to stick. But the Velcro ones would be the ones that you whisper. That your words would whisper into our hearts. That as we look into a mirror, we would hear you whisper. I love what I see. I love you. You are my beloved. Jesus, as we take time to remember communion, your life, your death, your resurrection, may that forever be the whisper we hear that you thought and you think and you now declare that we were worth your life, your death, and your resurrection, that the cross is a permanent label and reminder to us that you love us and that we are your beloved. And as we live in your love, we recognize that it's your power, your love in us that empowers us to love you back, to love ourselves rightly, 
and next week as we look at how do we love this world with your kind of love. Father, would you stir our hearts? Speak to us. As we take communion, as we worship you, this song we sing, God, would you drill it deep, deep within our heart? That you as the heavenly Father would whisper into each ear, you are my beloved. You, yeah, you. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. You are my beloved.